been pleading and uh, begging God uh, for you, specifically from last week. And if you're just joining us, we're uh, in uh, week two of a three-week series on relationships and gender roles and marriage. And I've been pleading for you um, because I've guess, I guess I've realized more now than ever before how critical this section of Scripture is. And the reason why it is so critical is because I, I see myself believing again that the gospel is all transforming. And this section of scripture is so critical because as followers, true followers of Jesus, if our marriages don't look any different than the culture, then the opportunity to reveal the transforming power of the gospel in our marriage is stripped. God will accomplish his will, of course, without us. But we take away that voice, that vehicle, that opportunity that we have if our marriage looks no different than the culture. I've realized how critical it is for God to transform our dating relationships. Because if our dating relationships look just like the hills, if all of the drama that all of those things incur, if there's no difference between our dating relationships under Christ and the culture, then friends, we, we take away that vehicle to show how much the gospel has truly transformed us, how it's shifted us, how it's changed our hearts, how it's taken us from death to life. Are you with me? I, I believe that the gospel is all transforming is what, I, is what I'm saying. I was at Hillsong United last night. Anyone else? They're a pretty decent band and um, written a few of the songs that we sing. And um, when I'm there, uh, when I was there, it, you know, it's, the production is huge and, you know, 4,000 people, it's at the Fox, amazing thing. And I sat back at one point and my mind was just wondering. And the question that God asked me, and I ask this to you tonight, is, is have you gotten tired of the gospel? Has the good news of Christ the saving work of Jesus, have you just gotten tired of it? I've, I've heard it all of my life. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ is coming again. Forgiveness of sins, grace poured out for all of my wretchedness. I've heard it over and over and over. And the question I was asked last night by God is, have you gotten tired of it? Have you become numb to it? Has the true depth of the love of God just it's not sinking in anymore like it used to be. I ask that of you tonight. Has it, has it gotten old, the freshness of it, the amazing power of its grace? Have you forgotten its taste? I love the song that we just sang, Awaken My Soul. What I'm asking you tonight is, are you ready to wake up a little bit tonight? It's so critical for us in right marriage, in right dating relationships, and in right biblical singleness to be revealers of the transforming work of the gospel. Are you with me, church? That's a huge vehicle that we have. And so tonight, I'm walking out of this differently than I walked in. In other words, last week we taught on biblical marital submission, uh, which if you missed last week, you can listen to all of our teachings on our podcast or on the website. But I walked into this uh, section of scripture, these seven verses, thinking to myself, that verses 1 and 2 and verse 7 of 1 Peter 3 drive Peter's point about right biblical relationships. But I'm walking out of this section believing something different. 
I wholeheartedly believe that these three verses, these four verses rather, that we're going to study tonight, are his main focus. And I really believe the opportunity to be completely shifted mentally tonight is huge. So I hope that you're ready. Are you ready to go tonight, church? We have props. We're going to have a lot of fun. I ask that you open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3. The page number is on your screen. If you don't have a Bible, there's one right there in front of you on, uh, the, on the screen, or on the, in the pew, rather. Let's start out with a question. What is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life? The most beautiful thing, not a person, Brad Pitt, right? Not, we're not talking about people here. The most beautiful thing, place, that you have ever seen in your entire life. And you know what I'm talking about? It's one of those moments where you see something and, and to speak would just, would just ruin it. Where you just get all consumed by whatever it is. What is it for you? I asked uh, several of uh, my friends that question yesterday, and here's what some people said. Uh, sunset in Hawaii. In fact, there was uh, eight or nine people who said Hawaii, um, which is pretty incredible. Night sky in Utah. Niagara Falls, one person said. Any Niagara Falls fans? All right. You're like, Niagara, what's that? Is that in the U.S.? Um, this person strangely uh, said, said hunting in the morning. So killing and death. Uh, that person loves, <laughs> thinks it's beautiful, the blood of deer. One person said flying over Laos and Thailand and seeing green hills and waterfalls. Just picture the track behind that statement, you know, keyboard. Just me. Um, a blanket of new-fallen snow sparkling under a cloudless sky. You guys got really descriptive, you know what I mean? Like, I felt like I was reading poems as I was reading these. Uh, Glacier Park, Montana. The Grand Canyon. Any uh, folks been to the Grand Canyon? Pretty beautiful. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read uh, this whole uh, section here because this person wrote a paragraph. Before getting married, I would have uh, said an average evening sunset at our family beach house in Florida. Clearly a, a wealthy family here. Um, <laughs> After getting married, I would have said it was a seeing my husband's face at the end of the aisle at our wedding. Beautiful. After last month, I'd have to say it was seeing my little, uh, my little boy's uh, body in the ultrasound and the expression on Christ's face, uh, or rather her husband's face, uh, when he saw his son for the first time. Uh, that's definitely not Laura Woods. Um, <laughs> another person said, Kansas City, Missouri. Repent and be saved. Uh, <laughs> For me, it's, uh, it's, it's obvious. Um, love to go skiing. Any, any of you folks like to go skiing? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And there's always the same moment when you go skiing. You know, you're, you're locked and loaded. You got the coat on. And I'm, I'm big about hats. I love skiing hats. I order a new one every year, like spiky, and I got the dread hat. Have you guys seen these? I'm that guy. I'm the guy that's clearly a tourist, but I'm rocking it anyway, you know? And uh, there's always this moment at the top of the ski lift where you where you get around, you, you turn around, not the bunny hill, but, you know, when you go up top and, and you turn your skis around and you get everything and then you just look up for the first time and you see the ranges in the background and there's closer mountains around and the city or the village is underneath. To talk at that point would ruin it. And so with my crazy hat and goggles that are fogged up, I just enjoy it. Beauty is such an intriguing word, isn't it? It's such an intriguing word because no matter what culture you live in 
or no matter what time you've lived in that culture, certain things have been beautiful to you. But the interesting thing is, what's beautiful to you may not be beautiful to me. Can we agree? Uh, Throw up this uh, picture of art here. This is a famous um, painting. have no idea what it's called. Anyone know what it's called? Starry Night. Night. Clearly, you're much more artistic than I. Some of you look at this and you're like, this is the most beautiful painting I've ever seen in my life. Others of you, you're like, did a third grader draw that? You know, like, my daughter can write that, right? So we have this different perspective about what beauty is. What I've come to realize is that our perspective of beauty is quintessential to right biblical relationship. And tonight we're going to take a journey through four verses at the end tonight, build a biblical doctrine of beauty. And my hope is that each of us are transformed, not by uh, articulate words from up here, but rather by the scriptures, that we would walk away with a clearer understanding of true biblical beauty. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 says this. Go ahead and put the scripture up there for me, Andrew. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. So he starts out after talking about biblical marital submission, to change gears a little bit, to talking about external uh, beauty. Some of you who walked in here with braids, you're like undoing them now. Just hold on a second. This isn't the point of the passage. Let's, let's start with the word adorning. Well, interestingly enough, the Greek word for adorning is kosmos. It's the same a Greek word that's used for world, for universe. It's also the same word that cosmetic comes from. This word adorning means uh, decoration. So do not let your decoration be external. Uh, some of you have grown up uh, decorating your outside uh, very, very well. You've come accustomed to it. Uh, some of you it takes an hour. Others of you it takes five minutes. There's different levels of contentment within the external adornment. But that's not his point here. His point, rather, and let me speak to the culture uh, issue for a second, because I think many of you would be like, well, well, this is a cultural issue, clearly. We're talking about braiding of hair, putting on of clothes, okay? Which, which let's just go ahead and agree. He's not saying that wearing, uh, he's not saying that, that gold or braids or putting on clothes is inherently sinful. Otherwise, this would be some Christian nudist colony, right? But what he is saying is he's saying that there's, there's some level of importance that is to be measured, that there's something about external beauty that needs to be put in right perspective. Well, culturally, uh, if you've seen any movies and you picture Roman culture, because this is who he's writing to. He's writing to an area of the world called Asia Minor. It's uh, tr- uh, tremendously influenced by Greek culture. Uh, the Romans obviously have inhabited this land, and there's Jews living there. So you have all kinds of mix of culture. And if you've seen movies that depict Roman culture, you can, you can picture this. This like external beauty, I, I kind of picture Cleo, Cleopatra. What movie is that in? Ten Commandments or something like that? I don't even know, but some old Charlton Heston movie, right? Cleo, Cleopatra's rocking, you know, just bling on every possible phalange that she, you know, it's all over the place. So I picture that. So that's what many of us think of. Oh, well, of course, this is a cultural issue. Well, the problem is, in Isaiah chapter 3, put up this verse. In Isaiah chapter 3, a clearly written to uh, Jews here. Andrew, are you with me tonight? Isaiah 3. You there? Isaiah 3? Oh, there it is. Thank you. In that day the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands. Uh, Some of you who thought you created the headband, right? Uh, 
and the crescents, have no idea what that is, uh, the pendants, the bracelets, and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets. Can we, can we just bring back the armlet, you know? Like, what's an armlet, right? Uh, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, and the amulets, the signet rings and the nose rings. Again, some of you think you're so cool that you invented the nose ring. Not true. The festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans and the veils. So I read this passage to say this issue is not just a Greco-Roman issue. This is a Jewish issue. The concept of external decoration is not seen in just the Greco-Roman world. It's obviously seen in the Jewish culture, and I think that you would agree with me, is an every culture issue. How much we decorate ourselves externally crosses the board in every culture in every way. Now, that looks different for every culture. Some cultures value it more than others, but in every potential culture, it's the same. Now, I put a, a mirror here, uh, and I'm sure that all of you know what a mirror is. Um, some of you spend a tremendous amount of time in front of this mirror. In fact, uh, every day at a particular time, you look in this mirror and, it, and you, just, you just gaze. You enjoy what you see. You, you know, fix the hair. You make sure the clothes are great. You, you know, check everything out to make sure all of that stuff. And for some of you females... You look, you gander in the mirror, and then you're like, no, not this outfit, right? And so that, then you head to the closet, and you sift, and you scour, and you grab another, and you put it on, and then you head back to the mirror, and, and then you're like, oh, no, that's, you know, that's a little bit too tight around my ankle, you know? And, so that, and, then, you, and then you head back, and you grab another outfit, and you, the mirror drives your concept of beauty. Um, when I was in uh, New York a couple weeks ago, uh, in the middle of Times Square, there is all of these stores. There's a Foot Locker in the middle of Times Square. There's a Sabero Pizza. Any Sabero fans? Sabero Pizza, those big fatty things, yeah. There's a Walgreens in the middle of Times Square. Not sure why. Never know when you'll need a pres prescription, right? It's like right there in Times Square. Let's hook it up. But there's an American Eagle and I was dumbfounded by the fact that, that American Eagle, and go ahead and put this, this is the picture of the LED screen in Times Square. Now, you can't get perspective here. Maybe you can see the streetlights down on the bottom. But I'm guessing this LED screen is, um, is something like 10, 12, 13, 14 stories high. It's huge. It's literally the biggest LED screen in Times Square. At 11 o'clock at night, uh, one night, with literally thousands of people in Times Square, I look up at this LED screen, and they're flashing ads of American Eagle. And all of a sudden, this, this woman comes up, and it runs for like uh, five minutes, flashing different females, and all of, that they were wearing were their undergarments. Right there in Times Square, thousands of people on the biggest LED screen in Times Square in New York. And, and it struck me how much in our culture we are completely infatuated with certain concepts of beauty, of fleshly adornment, external adornment. Let's decorate ourselves 
so that we can be perceived as beautiful. And then that beauty, how we see ourselves in the mirror, how others see ourselves in the mirror, is what ultimately gives us identity. But put up verse 3 again. The unfortunate thing is that Peter is trying to show how though culture demands that you look a particular way, that we are to not let our external adorning or decorating be the focus. Listen, he's not saying that braids are sinful. He's not saying that gold is sinful. He's clearly not saying that clothes are sinful. But what he is doing is he's putting it in right perspective. That's why we have verse 4. Look at this. But let your adorning, your decorating, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Females. This becomes a trust issue real quick. And when I say trust issue, the trust issue is whose words of affirmation are you going to believe more? Uh, do, Do you see the LED screen and imagine to yourself, that could be me one day. Or do you watch The Hills or some other, you know, cultural sitcom that portrays relationships and you see what you perceive as a beautiful woman, that could be me one day. Are you waiting on the words of affirmation from a culture or some punk boy to say that you are beautiful when Peter says in this verse that there is a particular kind of beauty that is what? Precious in the sight of God. There are two kinds of words of affirmation that are potentially can come with true beauty. One with false beauty from culture. Oh, you look so amazing. Oh, look at yourself. You're you're just gorgeous. Could you decorate yourself a little bit more? Or the words of affirmation from the one who created you. Women, can I just ask you right now, who are you trusting Have you placed your image trust in culture to define your identity or are you sitting back in the words of affirmation that can come from Father God? Well, how does that happen? There's three ways in verse 4. The first, uh, next slide, is that there's something that happens in the inner person. In other words, uh, Peter doesn't say anything about the lack of beauty. In other words, he's not saying, okay, mess up your hair, wear the ugliest possible shirt, and just go out in public and rock it, you know? He's not saying that. He's not saying don't do that. But he's just saying there's two kinds of decoration. There's internal decoration and external. And what he's saying is what happens internally is much greater than what happens externally. He doesn't devalue the external, but rather puts the two in their proper place. And he says, when you value internal decoration, then you value the fact that God sees the inner person. That God doesn't look at what brand of clothing you're wearing, females, or how it fits on you to gauge your satisfaction in him. Rather, he sees right to the heart. He sees the inner person. The second thing, next slide, 
is that this kind of beauty is imperishable. No matter how much Botox you use, Demi Moore, right? Like eventually, it will wear off. You will get older. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. I think some married couples think that whenever they get married, they're going to be like 20, you know, they're going to be 80, looking like they're 23. Not sure if you've seen your grandma, right? Doesn't happen that way, okay? You get older. Wrinkles happen. Think, you know, all these type of things happen. The inward beauty that comes from an internal, hidden, completely content in God is imperishable. It never fades. That kind of beauty goes nowhere. That's why Proverbs 31 says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. It fleets. But this kind of internal, uh, internal beauty isn't going anywhere. It's imperishable. And lastly, what we've already mentioned, this kind of beauty is precious in God's sight. Um, some of you females in here, you have, um, you have been lured by the words of affirmation of, of a man who looks at you in a particular way and brings you into his aura with words that maybe you've never heard before. You look so great. You're so gorgeous. You're so beautiful. And because we love beauty, where our hearts are lured at times by those, by those words, that text, that email, I care about you. The way that you look was just was incredible. When all the while, the words of affirmation from God the Father are waiting for that person who sits back and says, no, 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 no. Like external decorating, I care not. I want to focus my entire life on God and I together internally, him reshaping my heart, the gospel transforming me, that no matter what word a man says, both positive or negative, I sit back and rest in the words of God Father. That's a God-fearing woman. That's a woman who's found herself and her identity not in any definition of culture, but rather in her identity in Christ. Can I prove it to you? Can I show you something? In Matthew chapter 26, listen to this beautiful story. Uh, Jesus and the disciples are gathered, and this woman comes in. They're in Bethany, and she brings in an alabaster jar. And, and she, she busted open this expensive perfume on Jesus' head. And, and at first thought, I thought that, that, the, that, that this was the Pharisees, but no, the disciples are there. And she breaks this perfume over his head. And the disciples are like, whoa, hey, hey, take it easy there. Like, that's expensive perfume. We could sell that mug and give that money to the poor. And here's what Jesus says. Listen to this. Jesus says, do not trouble this woman, for she has done What? A beautiful thing to me. Jesus only says beautiful twice in all of the Gospels, and that's one. The other, he's chastising the Pharisees, talking about whitewashed tombs. But here he says, what this woman has done is beautiful. She is beautiful. She is gorgeous. Why? Because he sees her insides. He sees her heart. And she has come to serve him. In fact, Jesus says, she's come to prepare me for burial, he says. 
She's anointed my head because he's headed to die. What a beautiful picture. He sees through the heart and says, this woman has done something beautiful to me. When a woman becomes content in her beauty, can I show you something? Instead of going to the mirror, you're like, hmm, you know, colors don't match. I need to, and then she heads back to her closet and back and forth. Let's just be honest. How many of you females have, have changed an outfit at least four times before, just by raise of hand? Four times? Okay. All right. 80% of you, right? A quick side note. How many dudes have done that before? You are now a female, okay? <laughs> right? Listen. Instead of the mirror, listen. Instead of the mirror driving the decisions in the closet, this kind of woman in her prayer closet, in her closet when the door is shut, in the closet when it's her and the Lord, in the closet when the scriptures open before her and she's seeking the Lord's contentment, when she's seeking the Lord's approval and no one else's, that then drives what she sees in the mirror. Are you with me? Most women, it's the mirror first, and then we head to the closet to, to externally decorate. But a woman of God focuses internally in her clothes closet, her and the Lord, and then she turns to the mirror, and it matters not what she sees on the outward. She sees bought by the blood of Christ, a true daughter of the King. Those are the women I yearn to see in our community. Women who walk in here, followers of Christ, who aren't scantily clothed, trying to tempt a boy to give them some words of affirmation that will ultimately just build them up for a fleeting second. Are you with me? Those words will fade from boys. They just want what they want. Do you understand? But God gets what he gets. Do you see the difference? Boys want what they want. God gets what he gets, and he gets his kids. He calls his children to himself, and he pursues his daughters, wonderfully creates them. So women, can I ask you this, and there's much more to go tonight. What are you trying to point to? In other words, what kind of attention are you trying to draw? By the way that you dress externally, are you trying to draw attention to yourself or deflect attention to the power of the gospel? By, by the way that you uh, live and act, walk, talk, are you trying to bring attention to yourself? Please feed my ego. Please make me feel more beautiful. Please exalt me. Or is everything you do as a woman of God trying to deflect attention from yourself so that ultimately God can get the glory? Do you see the difference? The way that you dress will change that. The way that you portray yourself will change that. What does the scripture say? It says, with a gentle and quiet spirit. The word gentle there implies someone who's not overly assertive, but rather in his continued uh, argument of submission, but rather has sat back and submitted. Here he's escalating submission to the Lord. Those are beautiful women. Those are women who are completely content. And when they look in the mirror, they don't have an identity crisis every day like so many of you women have. I, with guys, it's different. Guys, sometimes I just want to beat up, you know? Girls, women in here, I just, 
I just want to, I just want to love you. I want to hug you. I want to encourage you. I want you to understand that it matters not what culture says. That you can stop trying to win the approval externally of all of these boys. Why? Because a missional woman, listen to this, a missional woman will attract a missional man and a missional man will attract a missional woman because they have a true concept of the gospel. And a missional man need not settle for anything less. And so women, I know you're like, boy, like last week, it's pretty much a lot about women. This week, a lot about women. Uh, that's because Peter recognizes, like, for dudes, you just need to, you know, put it straight. So one verse next week, come back, husbands and, husbands and dudes, you know? Just write it out, you know, not a lot of conversation, just put it to me straight. Women, like, we need to talk through this. We need to process a little bit, right? 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 But women, just, just take a breather. Men. You want to lead better as a Christian man? You, you want to be the man that's facilitating women who find their confidence in Christ and not in you? You want to facilitate an atmosphere or a church setting where the women walk in and feel like they need not impress you externally? Then you know what you do? You pursue women who are on mission and no one else. You remember, as a God-fearing man, that you're to awaken from being a boy to seek out women who find their beauty and their contentment in Christ and not in your words. Go after those women. And then you know what will happen, men? Is women will start seeing Christian men, true Christian men. Because a big problem that I hear from women is they're like, I, I, I desire a relationship, but I look around and there's not dudes who will lead me. So you know what they start to do? They start to settle. They start to compromise. Well, I know he's, I know he's not really going to lead me, but he'll pray for me once a month. All right, you know? And so they settle. Instead of, no, I will wait for the man on mission. I will wait till he pursues, pursues me in such a way that my heart can be revealed and he can truly see that I don't need his words of affirmation to fulfill myself. Now, you may be like, well, do you ever tell your wife she's beautiful? Of course. I tell her all the time. She reminds me when I don't tell her, you know? Rightfully so. My, my wife, listen, and I hope this comes out right. <laughs> my wife is the most sexy when we're talking about the Lord. Some of you are like taking notes on that, right? It's my wife. I'm not. Some of you are like, oh, that's good, you know? In our relationship, my wife is the most beautiful when her and I are wrestling with things of the Lord. And you know why that is? Because, yeah, she's gorgeous on the outside, of course. But her heart is what I'm after. Why? Because if our hearts aren't united in the gospel, then what do we do when we're 50 and we, don't like, and we don't look like we do now? All that's left is the heart. All that's left is the pursuit of the gospel. 
So why in your dating relationship would you not approach it in the same way? Look, look, you may look whatever, I just want to know your heart. I want to see it revealed. I want to look inside of you and know and know all of the things that you think of the Lord. And you and I won't, won't take another step in dating until I see you on mission. But most of you feel like you can just have a few conversations and then start making out and pursue the relationship. You have no idea if this is a man or woman on mission. Men, listen. You can help out this church community a whole bunch if you start pursuing women who fit into this category and who are completely content in their beauty from Godfather and not in your words of affirmation. I'm not saying that you won't encourage them at times, obviously calling them gorgeous, but as daughters of the king and not for your own personal gain. When that happens in this community, it raises the bar. Marriages are encouraged. Dating relationships are encouraged. Singles are yearning for that man patiently so to be led. This man is going to lead me, not to himself or his own affirmations, but rather to find true beauty in God. Are you with me, church? This is not happening in the culture. The culture is feed my flesh as quick as possible. I can compromise at any particular thing, and many of you will momentarily compromise just to feed a momentary yearning of your flesh. If we can negate those yearnings of our flesh, find our contentment in Christ, then we will be men and women on mission. Have you forgotten that this is our call? Look, if, if you don't believe in Jesus in here, then there, there's, a, like, there, there's a moral standard, but I hear, my te- hear this teaching, these words, towards believers. If you're a believer in here, the call is to be on mission. I, listen, and I, I don't mean to be ranting now, but I feel like so many of us are just consumers. Even of this church, we just consume, 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 and that reveals the way we are in relationships. Let me just consume from this. What can this guy, what can this girl provide for me? I just consume and consume. True missionality is I pour out, I pour out, I pour out. It's not about me. Me doesn't matter. I don't care. I pour out, I pour out, I pour out. Those are the men and women that you need to look for. And if you're an established marriage here and you see the shift that needs to happen, it's time to regain the heart intimacy. We have uh, two kids, third on the way. He's going to be here soon, and uh, we're going to have a circus at our house, so welcome you to that. Bring the popcorn and the cotton candy. Um, It's hard. It's hard. We come home, and I love my kids, and we play with the kids, and I haven't seen Heidi all day, and oftentimes I forget to kiss her first. And then, you know, 10 o'clock at night, after she's watched Idol and, you know, we've cuddled some, we go to bed and we're both smoked, both tired, and some days not even communicating about where our heart is at. And Heidi and I continually are talking about how can we keep having heart intimacy. It's so tough to pursue your woman day after day after day with all of the things of life. That is why we have to continually pursue men and women on mission. Why? Because at that moment, we're both wanting the same thing. This is why dating non-believers won't work. Do you guys get this? 
This is why not being unequally yoked is so clear in Scripture. Because this doesn't work. Man on mission, woman on mission. No, it's man on mission or woman on mission. There's tension there. You have two different concepts of beauty. It just won't mesh. It won't work. You'll be frustrated. You'll be pulling your man along. Or as a man, you'll be taking advantage of a non-believing girl who will give you what you want. He says, women, rest in the internal beauty, and this is precious in the sight of God. Do you get that promise? Do you want some kind of other affirmation? Verse 5 says this. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. I love this. Love this, right? By submitting to their own husbands. How many of you guys just have bomb grandmas, right? How many of you guys, your grandma was just amazing? You guys were confused by bomb, right? How many of you have bomb grandmas? You're like, what, is, what does that mean, right? My grandma right now is 87. Is that right, Heidi? 87, give or take. And... Um, this woman, she can't hear a thing, but every time I talk to her on the phone, my grandfather's passed away now 12 years ago, every time I talk to that woman on the phone at 87 years old, she can't hear a thing, you know the first thing she says, Mark, how is the church? I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. What Peter does is he points to the old school, because the old school is often the good school. I don't know if you've learned this. Right? Cultural, culturally, we're like, yeah, it's all, you know, we'll just do our own thing. Like, we're the youth of today. You know, we can wear holy jeans. The old school folks often had it right. And what Peter here does is he says, look, watch the women in the Old Testament. Watch these holy women sit with gentle and quiet spirits, finding their true beauty in God. Even though many men, even great men of valor in the Scripture, failed Watch these women. And then he even escalates in verse 6, one in particular. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Uh, you're like, so does that mean I need to call my boy Lord? Like, no. It's just saying that, and the, and the better Greek word here is, is master, okay? Sarah saw her role as following this man Abraham. And I'll talk about that here in a second. And you are her children, in other words, just like, uh, just like Scripture says that the men are uh, sons of Abraham, women then are sons of Sarah. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. In other words, when you fear God, then all other fear goes away. Let me tell you what I mean. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham comes to Sarah, and he's like, hey, here's the deal. Uh, we have a home, and it's time for us to move. She's like, okay. Then in Genesis chapter 13... Uh, Abraham comes to Sarah and says, hey, we're going to Egypt, and uh, I'm going to need you to tell people that you're my sister, okay? And uh, because, because you're very beautiful, he says. First time, by the way, beautiful is mentioned in the scripture. And, and he's like, you know, so, so just tell people that, that you're my sister. What does she do? She tells people that he's her sister. She submits even when it doesn't make sense, Okay? Then after the famine's done in Egypt, he says, hey, it's, it's time to go again. She says, okay. Right. Then in uh, Genesis chapter 20, uh, this character Ambimelech comes up. And guess what Ambimelech says? 
uh, or guess what Abraham says? He says, hey, uh, I, know you've, I know we've already been through all this and it actually caused a lot of heartache and pain. Why don't you go ahead and tell Ambimelech that you're my sister too? What he's saying is, Sarah follows Abraham, puts herself underneath his leadership. At times they have difficult conversations and wrestle. We don't need to go through all the biblical aspects of submission. But Peter is saying, watch this woman of old with a gentle and quiet spirit submit herself. That is beautiful, he says. So for me, I have many questions. Where does beauty come from? What really defines beauty? How can we truly understand what it means to be beautiful when you and I look at the same thing and one says beauty and the other says ugly? So I want to end tonight by building a biblical doctrine for beauty. And listen, the implications for this are unbelievable. The first thing is this. Put this up, biblical doctrine of beauty. The first thing, go ahead and put that up. God is the origination of beauty. Many of the things that you share were beautiful were moments of creation where you saw this glimpse of God's creation and his beauty. He's the origination. Without God, there's no beauty. Did you hear that? Without God, there is nothing that's beautiful. Because of who God is in his very essence, in his very character, he is beautiful. Let me show you how the psalmist interpreted this. Put up Psalm 27 first for me. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To what? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire his temple. What the psalmist says is, one thing I ask, that I could gaze upon your beauty. The next uh, psalmist passage says this in a similar vein. Out of, Zion, uh, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. In other words, look, as beautiful as it is when I turn my skis around and I see the mountain snowy or it doesn't even come close to the beauty of the presence of God. The last psalmist passage says this. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. God is the origination of beauty. Then what's the second implication in the doctrine of, build, of building biblical beauty? Jesus then is the manifestation of God. Uh, in, in another place in scripture, it's Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So if God is beauty, then Jesus comes down and reveals what beauty looks like. Are you with me? Are you getting excited yet? Jesus comes down and reveals what beauty looks like. Well, what is the implication of that? It's number three. Therefore, the gospel, God's love, sacrifice, and grace through Christ, Christ manifested on earth, the gospel lived out, is the true depiction of ultimate beauty. The gospel is the definition of beauty. Anything less than that is not beautiful, it's just attractive. It's just alluring. It appears beautiful, 
but true beauty is only found in the gospel. In Christ's coming, living perfectly, giving himself up, going to a cross so that you could be forgiven, raising from the dead so that your sins could be healed, and he's going to come back. That is beauty. Now, what happens when that shift happens in our mind? Does this even matter? If the gospel becomes our truest sense of beauty, then no matter what you see in this, no matter what you perceive in this, no matter what culture would say about you, you're this, you're that, you don't fit this image, you don't fit this category, it matters not. It matters not. And so the mirror is done with the cultural image is done with. And then when you understand that the gospel is the truest sense of beauty, then nothing else satisfies. And that's why I believe it's the picture of beauty that draws and drives real, godly, biblical relationships. It's because the gospel defines it. You start a dating relationship, and if you don't see the essence of the beauty of the gospel in that person, you aren't satisfied, ever. The gospel has to come out, not just by word of a crafty Christian boy. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Oh, really? You want to go make out? Sure, let's go. Right? That does nothing for you. You, as a woman, need to see the man for months at a time lead Guide, serve, hang with the poor, serve the widow. That's what you're waiting on. You're not misguided by a few crafty Sunday school words. You're waiting to see the boy's heart revealed. When you understand the gospel is the truest sense of beauty, then nothing else satisfies. Then when you're on the top of the mountain, you know what you say? Look at, look at God's creation. And in this moment, I'm reminded of how small I am, how great his grace is, and how much I need his grace. Every moment, then, that you're reminded of beauty, you're reminded of the gospel, and your life becomes worship because you're constantly seeing glimpses of him all over. And so as a guy, you won't pursue a woman, no matter how phenomenal you think she looks, until you see the heart unfolded, revealing a heart for the cross of Christ. Right, true, biblical doctrine of beauty drives right, biblical relationships. What are we going to do? We're inundated. When I think of my little girl and I watch her already like putting on the princess dresses and I think about how she's going to grow up in a culture that is so inundated with image, image, image. But the depths of the longing of my heart is that is that she'll just keep looking 
to her mom who was such a godly woman and learn from her and that she'll see me as the pastor of her home. But friends, what are we gonna do? We're here, we're living here in a culture that is driven by sex and image, identity, beauty. Can I tell you what we're gonna do? We're gonna let the gospel be the gospel because it's all transforming. And I want to believe it again, don't you? Maybe I've become numb to it at times, but I want to believe it again. I want to believe that it can really change my heart and that I can see women not as sexual objects, but rather as daughters of the king. I want to believe again that the power of the cross can really forgive my past. I want to believe again that I can worship in spirit and in truth, not because of my good deeds, but because of his grace. Are you ready to believe it again, church? Believe it anew, afresh? Are you ready to say together, culture, I care not? God, give us a beautiful picture again of the gospel because it is the definition of beauty. Let's stand together, okay? Um, if you're a man in here right now, I'm gonna call you to action there are females that are around you. And one of the things that I would love for our church to be defined as is a church that doesn't just talk about the beauty of the gospel, but rather pleads for it. And so wherever you're at now as a man, we're gonna take a couple minutes and I wanna invite you to pray for the females that are around you. And what you're praying for is that they wait for the words of affirmation from God and not for culture, that they place the internal decoration much higher than the external, that they patiently wait on the man of God. So if you're a man here tonight, could you just take a second, and some of the females that are around you, could you just begin to pray for them, that God would protect them, raise them up, and bless them. Come on, men. Let's be leaders and pray for these women now. Come on.